If you would turn in your scriptures to the book of Philemon. Philemon, just before, of course, the book of Hebrews, small little letter there. Perhaps I should have said, turn to Viticus 14. Viticus. A pastor in our community here was telling me how his father was converted to Christ. And his father called him on the phone. And he said, I've been doing the dishes at the sink. And I heard a voice say, Viticus 14. I thought nothing of it, the father said. But then I heard it again, Viticus 14. Isn't that crazy, said the dad. Why would I hear Viticus 14? What could that mean? Well, his pastor's son said, Dad, could it have been Leviticus 1-4? Well, yeah, he said. My hearing's not too good, but I heard Leviticus 14, he said. Well, the son took him to Leviticus 1-4, and this is the verse there. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And the son explained the atonement, the sacrifice that was needed for sin. He explained that to his father and how Christ Jesus was a sacrifice provided by God. And his dad repented of his sin and believed and followed Christ in the closing years of his life became an active member in his church. I mean, God moves in mysterious ways. And perhaps no more mysterious than how he leads and calls a person to himself. And so the book of Philemon, let me read. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you 
and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, in the book of Philemon, we have this story of a slave. Remember that slavery was a huge part of the Roman Empire. Onesimus is a slave, and he belonged to this man, Philemon. Philemon lived in Colossae, and he was a Christian, and he was a leader in the church in Colossae. And his slave, Onesimus, ran away from him. That's a very dangerous thing for slaves to do. He made his way across the sea to the capital city, Rome. And there, providentially, he encounters Paul. And what happens is Paul leads Onesimus to the truth of Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Look at verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He's saying, I led him to the Lord. Formerly, he was useless to you. That is, he was just a slave. But now, he's indeed useful to you and to me. Now he's a brother in the Lord. Ah. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon and he's asking Philemon uh, to receive him without punishment because he's now not just a slave, he's a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 15, look there, for this perhaps is why he, that is Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. That is, as a brother in the Lord. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, 
as a beloved brother. Wow. What Paul is doing is he's making an argument from providence that he is introducing to Philemon the possibility that the events that have happened have been orchestrated by God himself. He says, being separated from you, being parted from you. In the Greek, he uses a passive here. He's taking care not to say he fled from you, but that he was parted. Somebody parted him, and that was God himself. God did this. And now I'm returning him to you, and you need to consider that God providentially made all of this happen. Providentially, he met me in Rome, Paul's saying. Providentially, he was converted. Providentially, I'm sending him back to you because you need him as a brother. This is God's purpose. And he's introducing this into the mind of Philemon. So when we speak of our conversion to Christ um, and the Lord's work in Christian life, we are speaking about special providence. Some call it peculiar providence. That specifically providence that's focused on the believer, one of God's own children. I mean, we all, everyone in the world experiences sort of a general providence. We see that in the weather. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We see it in marriage, providentially. It's not good that a man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. This is for the whole world. Government, submit to government. There's no authority except from God. And just God's very goodness, the world knows, and we call it sometimes common grace. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He's good to everybody. Even success or failure is considered to be under his providential care in a general sense to all people everywhere at all times. Not far from the east, from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and putting another up. God is active, generally. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade. The presence of God is everywhere. He says, the world is crowded with God. He walks everywhere, incognito. Now, Isaac Watts in his hymn says this, thy providence, speaking of God, thy providence is kind and large. Both man and beast, thy bounty share, the whole creation is thy charge. But saints are thy peculiar care. He's speaking of peculiar providence, you see. And that he has a providential working, a providential act, specifically for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, his son. And so he works in the life of his people in a special way. From before the foundation of the world to our conversion, 
to our life of discipleship as we walk in the Spirit and walk in Christ, to our death and our resurrection and on into eternity. And what Paul is appealing to in the book of Philemon is this special providence, this peculiar providence, that God is working invisibly and invincibly to bring Onesimus to a divine encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is so wonderful. I mean, he knew our unformed substance. He knew what country you would be born in, what time in history. He knows the length of your days. He knows the moment of your physical death. Job says it this way, he says of God, you clothe me with skin and flesh. You knit me with bones and sinews. You gave me life and you showed me kindness. And in your providence, you watched over my spirit. Wow. That might be something you want to pray to God yourself as a recipient of his peculiar providence. In your providence, you watched over my spirit. And of course, the psalmist says, David, you have me in and behind, before and above. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me that God surrounds us. He keeps us. He brought you, Christian, to the moment of your conversion. And he took you beyond that. <coughs> step by step, step by step, he brought you. You remember our chain, don't you? Link by link, God forges each one in our life. Through this experience, through that experience, through this choice, through that choice, step by step, link by link, all the way to where you heard the gospel, where a person spoke to you of Christ, where that article perhaps moved your spirit, where the Bible was opened, where someone, some friend perhaps spoke of Christ and he worked in your heart and granted you faith and repentance. I mean, it's different for us all how we come to Jesus Christ. But what is the same for all is that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's our commonality. We're all sinners. And yet he brings us and brought us, each one of us, providentially in a peculiar, special way to himself. We have different lives. We repented and we believed and we followed. And even our choice of God is under the shadow of his choosing us. We saw this last week. His sovereign will was in effect. Our will is expressed under his wing. So much so that we can say, yes, we chose Christ. And in the very same breath, we can say, God did it all. God chose us. God was at work within us, creating what was pleasing in his sight. He chose us. He illuminated us. He convicted us. He humbled us. He drew us. He called us. He granted faith and repentance. So much so, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father, unless the Father who sent me draws him.
Thou will raise him up on the last day. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch and how he just happened to be reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. Or Naaman, Naaman the Syrian, who had captured a little Jewish girl and then had suffered leprosy and how this little Jewish girl was able to tell him that there's a prophet of God that he can go to and, and how all of that leads to Naaman's encounter with God. Or the Samaritans, if you remember, they believed and they heard the woman testify, the woman from the well, and they heard her testify of the words of Christ and, and they believed his word, the scripture says. This is all special. This is all peculiar providence. And it's true for you who have converted to Jesus Christ as well. If you think it through and you trace your history like a dot-to-dot book or like a chain uh, with its links step-by-step, you'll see how he brought you, how he permitted certain things in your life, how he kept you from certain things in your life to the point where you were able to bow before him and claim the forgiveness he offers and the Savior who died for you. I know it was his providence that put me in my family of origin, in his time, his special providence that entrusted sickness to me as a youth, his providence that led me to Charlene, bloody nose and all, how he did that. And his special providence that placed in my heart a longing for God, a desire to be holy and to know God, link by link by link and step by step by step. I grew up loving the Bible, praying, all the way through to that evening when my brother spoke of the return of Christ and took me to a church and I heard the gospel and I repented and I was converted from darkness to light, from the world to the kingdom of God. Most of us don't have that Damascus Road experience. We don't have what Paul had. Most of us won't hear Didicus 14. <laughs> but we have the special providence of God. I was reading of a minister in Scotland who uh, was converted at a fair. He'd gone to the fair and he made a little purchase and the guy who was selling the wares there had torn out a piece of paper and wrapped it in that piece of paper and when he got home, he, well, he's looking at it and he sees there's a scripture verse on it and it, God used that to humble him and con- convict him and convert him to Jesus and eventually he became a pastor. It's amazing. 
What about your own life? I hope you chart it out. I hope you pay attention to the links of God and, and follow along dot to dot. It's an exercise that's exciting. It's wondrous. It's something that you can dwell on and pray about as you track it through. It's so encouraging to see God's love in, in your life that way and his leading. Nick and I heard a number of pastors giving their testimony this week around a table. One of them, we, we talked about them after, and one of them stood out. It was a fellow from South Africa, and he said he was just filled with hate towards white people. He hated white people. And he had a long list of reasons why that would seem reasonable. I mean, he'd been treated terribly. He'd, his father had been treated terribly in South Africa. And, and he, said, he said he was so filled with rage and anger that if he could have got an AK-47, he said he would have just gone out and mowed down white people. And then he said he was approached on the street by two white men inviting him to a Bible study. And he's like, <laughs> but they were persistent. And finally he said, oh yeah, I'll come, knowing they didn't know where he lived. And the appointed time came, and these two fellows showed up at his door. He's like, how does that happen? And they took him to this garage, and they were having a Bible study there, and he sat on the couch, and he said he was the only black person there. Everybody was white. And there he heard the gospel of Jesus. And he said, he started to realize if, if he could be forgiven by God, that he himself could forgive the white people. And he was converted to Christ. And he's a pastor in the community here. God providentially made that happen. And Paul writing in Philemon about the slave Onesimus and the conversion of Onesimus. Remember, he's writing from a Roman prison. He says that in here. He says in verse 9, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I mean, he's playing on Philemon's uh, emotions here, you know. I'm old, I'm in prison, you're going to do what I want, right? You're going to receive an SMS. But Paul had asked for prayer from many people that he would end up in Rome, that he would go to Rome. I mean, he wrote the Romans to pray for that, that he would be able to come to them in joy. And it probably never crossed his mind how he would get to Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. Because in Jerusalem, he was arrested for defiling the temple, the accusations. To save his life from a Jewish mob, he was sent to Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean, imprisoned there for two years. And finally, 
He realized there would be no justice. He appeals to Caesar. <coughs> and he exercises his right as a Roman citizen. So they pack him off in a ship to send him to the capital city where his case will be heard. It's late autumn. You know the story. He's put on that ship and on route there, the vessel is wrecked, shipwrecked, and it's an awful thing. And the angel appeared to him and said, you'll stand before Caesar. And the following spring, he's safe and sound. He arrives in Rome and he's in prison there. His prayer to go to Rome <clears throat> has been answered. At no cost to him, <laughs> but he's in prison and he's uncomfortable. And it's, it's not a pleasant experience. Surely he expected something different, something more comfortable. But it was God's special providence that brought Paul to Rome. Paul was a child of God. And God had a purpose for that. And you know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, his purposes can leave us very uncomfortable in our own life. We make ourselves available to him, and he takes us at our word. And sometimes he, he's going to put us in, in tough spots. Sometimes we're going to be in a place of grieving. We're going to be in a place of hurting we're going to have hearts that hurt sometimes and grieve. We're going to have bodies that hurt and need surgery. And he might have for us suffering in spirit and in flesh. We might be confused, wandering, wondering, God, what are you doing? Sometimes his purposes can leave us in pain, in turmoil, in sadness, in desperate conditions. It can even leave us in prison. What are you doing, God? Well, we hold on his promises, don't we? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Even though it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good, be horrible and yet we trust him this is your purpose God and you're, you're doing something I can't see you're, I've made myself available to you and in your service and as your servant you're using me and you're calling me to suffer or to hurt Paul would say in the Roman pr prison he would write these words he said this has all served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, wow, you know, the gospel is going out amongst all the soldiers, the imperial guard, right up to Caesar." Those who have his ear. He says, well, who would have thought that? And, and, and the Christians in Rome are, are stronger because they see what's happening and God's purposes through Paul. Even though he's in prison, 
And they're bolder for Christ because of it, he says. This is all good. God's special providence, his peculiar providence for his own peculiar people, his children. It's working. He's working in special ways as we serve him and make ourselves available to him. I've told you before about when my daughter was two years old, I took her to the hospital in North Bay for a medical test. Charlene had her hands full with our oldest and an infant, and so I took Abby in, and it was, you know, an hour and a half from, from home. She went through that test that was hard on her, too little to understand what was going on. And during the test, I started realizing that I wasn't doing very well either. I was feeling sicker and sicker. So much so that after it, I took her hand and we started walking the halls of the hospital. And I'm, I'm thinking, remember, there's no cell phones in the 90s. <laughs> no texting, nothing like that. And I'm thinking, there's no way I can drive home. I, I was really at a loss what to do. And I was feeling more and more terrible. Abby was exhausted. I was ill. We're in a city. We don't know anybody. And finally, we just sat on the floor in a hospital hallway. And we must have been close to an elevator because I still remember the ding, ding, ding. And then there was some feet in front of me. I looked up, and there was a nurse there. And she said, is everything okay? I sort of poured out my story to her. And she took charge right away. She said, my shift is ending in 10 minutes. I'm going to take Abby to my house. I'm going to call your wife from there. I'm going to make all the arrangements to get your daughter home. You go to Emerge. And which I did, and they eventually admitted me into the hospital. And it, of course, at the moment, I'm thinking, I can't give my daughter into the hands of a complete stranger. I mean, how do you do that? Well, this is what God did. She was a complete stranger. She gave me her name. I said, I've heard that last name before. I said, I went to Bible school in Toronto with someone with that last name. And she said, that, that was my brother. I'm a Christian too, she said. Wow. God's providence, amazing ways he was working if we're paying attention this mysterious working as we're available to him. Special providence means that even your suffering, even the hard things of your life, that neither Satan nor man nor nature nor chance wields ultimate control, and neither do you. That God is sovereign over everything, even our suffering. 
which means it's not meaningless, which means it has purpose. It's not heedless. It's not random. It's measured. It's, it's wise because he is wise. He's loving. And he's working in us at eternal weight of glory. The providence of God turns every sorrow to joy, every loss to gain, every groan to glory. Philemon, church history tells us Philemon with his wife was stoned to death in Colossae by an anti-Christian mob. Ignatius of Smyrna on his way to Rome to be martyred, mentions how he encountered outside of Colossae an elder of the church there named Onesimus. Many scholars think that's the Onesimus who was a former slave. The letter of Philemon would in the course of time be used of God to undermine the very concept of slavery. This man is my brother. Special providence. You never know what God is doing. And we need to acknowledge how powerless we are. And our sense of control means nothing because he's in control. We are not alone. And just as we close in a few minutes, I'm going to invite anyone who'd like to come forward to, for prayer and just come ahead up and if you want to kneel or stand, perhaps you're feeling like you're in a prison right now or you're hurting or you're praying to God for some mercy perhaps or you're grieving or you're wondering. Some of you are suffering right now. Some of you wondering, why is this happening to me? Charlene and I know that question well these days. God is aware and he's in control. Maybe you're having relationship challenges or deep burdens that weigh heavy on you. Just come ahead right now if you would, out of your pew. I'll just give you a few moments. Anyone? I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to ask of you is to stand or kneel. I'm going to pray. And then we'll have our final lamb. Anyone? Just come ahead right now. Just come ahead. Perhaps you're uncertain about something or some situation with your children. And you just need to say, God, I'm not in control. You are. And you're. You need to say that yesterday is over and tomorrow is not here and today, Lord, give me joy. Give me joy today, Lord. Anyone else? Just come ahead. Just come, come right ahead. He refines us, not as silver. He tries us in the furnace, the furnace of affliction. But he is with us. And we want to be trustful and thankful. Anyone else? Just before I pray. Well, let's bow together. And I include myself up at the front here at this time. Lord, you are our shepherd 
and you give all we need. Thank you for these dear ones who've come forward for whatever reason you've laid on their heart, whatever purpose you're doing and accomplishing in their life. And some of it is very hard. Help us to see the green pastures when everything looks dead and dry. Help us to see the still waters when it seems that we're in the midst of the rapids. Help us to welcome your rod that marks us out as your own and your staff which guides us and corrects us and keeps us when we would wander off. Help us to see the banquet table when we complain of few blessings. Help us to see that our cup overflows when we see it as only half full or half empty. And in all things, Father, today, tomorrow, this week, as we look over our shoulder, as we walk the pilgrim path you have set for us in the Spirit, in Christ, when we look back and see that shadow following us, may we know that it is your goodness and your mercy that follow us. You show compassion for your children. You show compassion to those who fear you. And so we invite you to show that in the lives of those at the front here. We thank you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In return.